Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel message can be summed up in this way, that there is a divine courtroom scene being played out, and you are standing on trial before God. Now, a list of charges are brought against you, and it seems only reasonable that if a person is found guilty, he or she should suffer the punishment, right? And the charges that are brought against you are simply summed up in the very fact that you have not loved God with your whole heart, your whole mind, or your whole soul for your whole life, and you have not loved your neighbors as yourself. Just as the judge is about to deliver the sentence, though, at the last moment, Jesus steps in and takes your punishment on himself and pardons you. And you know the Bible verse that we often quote, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This legal metaphor of God's saving work in Jesus Christ is a powerful way to imagine what God has done for you. But did you know it's not the only image or metaphor that God has for us uh, in his word for what he has done through Jesus? This morning, I'd like you to think about God's work in Jesus in a a slightly different way, a way that's a little more personal and relational. This is the, the metaphor of reconciliation, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection not only pays your debt of sin, but restores you to access to God's presence and makes you a full member of God's community. Now, being in God's presence is one of the deepest longings of the human heart because that's what was lost in sin. Now, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were told that if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. But what was the first thing they realized when they ate the, tree, ate the fruit? They realized, ah, you're naked! And they hid from each other and they hid from God. What they first realized was much more devastating. They didn't flop over dead first. The first thing that they discovered when they rebelled against God was shame. Shame is defined as an intense feeling, painful feeling or experience of, of, that you are flawed or otherwise undeserving of love and belonging. That's something you've experienced, done, or have forgotten to do has made, makes you unworthy of connection. And shame is different than guilt. Guilt is deserving a punishment, but shame is not deserving connection. Shame is the feeling that you do not belong. And that all goes back to the first sin where Adam and Eve no longer belonged in God's presence and were removed from the garden and removed from God's community. You've probably experienced shame in your life. The shame is often a feeling of of either uh, the fear of being inadequate or a burden. It's not hard to to imagine a man who, who works all day and night so he's not seen as what? A failure. And you can imagine a woman who, who would like to, to share in an emotional connection with someone, but fears that she will be seen as a burden, right? 
So shame is this intense, painful feeling that you are unworthy of belonging to a group. Now, <coughs> excuse me, belonging to a group is the is a way that, that humans have dealt with this. They, they, we've formed other groups in society, whether it's a political, economic, social, cultural group, some way where we can find belonging, somewhere where we can satisfy that need to, to feel connected and feel worthy of connection. It was C.S. Lewis who, who first observed, or first stated how he observed that people in, intensely want to be on the inside of a group, and once they're on that inside, they try their hardest to keep everyone else out. He coined the term the inner ring. And an inner ring is this un, uh, unwritten, informal, in-group. It's the group at, at, in your work that's, that's the unspoken A-team. The people who are in. It's the unwritten rules that in the cafeteria or in the break room, certain people get to sit at certain tables and everyone else needs to find another spot. This inner ring drives people, uh, drives the, the heart to find a way to be on the inside and is terrified of being unworthy and being left out. Now, there's a simple test you can do to, to tell if you're trying to get on into an inner ring. The simple test is that if you envy someone who's on the inside and you are despising someone who is on the outside, this is a, a natural thing for, for all humans to experience, but it all goes back to the, the first sin where humans were unworthy of God's presence and desired to get back there. In our text today, our reading from Hebrews, it's one long sentence in the original language. It's one long sentence about God's inner ring. And the good news is that our text says that the way back into God's inner ring is now open through Jesus. That you have been made, that you can enter with confidence. And confidence is not courage uh, of putting away your fear to, to go up and stand before your boss to, to ask for something. No, confidence is speaking freely as you would talk to your friends or your family. And the, the good news is that you may now come into God's presence. And the reason why God's presence is such a longing of the human heart is because that's where you are sat, the heart is satisfied and is changed. It's in God's presence that a life of freedom is found, free from guilt and free from shame. A, a life of joy is found, joy in, with your family, with your friends, and in your work. It's in God's presence that a, a life of sacrifice is found because God's presence makes you more generous. And it's in God's presence that a life of renewal is found daily relying on his grace and his love. Now, the good news for us today is that God's presence is now open for us, that we may draw near, and the text says, let us draw near. Why? Because the way is now open through Jesus. 
it, the, our text uses this uh, illustrative Old Testament language of the tabernacle where God was present among his people, and yet it was covered by a tent, and that only one person once per year could enter into that presence. But now we may all draw near because of Jesus who, is the, who shed his flesh and blood. Jesus took on your shame. It was <coughs> described as this, that Jesus took, although was worthy of God's presence, came down from heaven and was despised and rejected by man. He was mocked and, and ridiculed and spat upon, and he was displayed naked in front of everyone on the cross. That Jesus would take on your shame, that you may be given his worthiness, that you may be worthy to draw near to God's presence, that you would not feel flawed or, or unworthy because you have washed, been washed and made clean in the waters of baptism by the blood of the Lamb, that you are now worthy to draw near to God's presence. And also, God's presence is no longer found in a temple or in any sort of building, but God's presence is found in the church. You heard it just a minute ago, and if you've been around, you know you've heard this before, that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is with them also. Well, what this means is that Christianity is not a solitary religion, that you can't hope to be in God's presence if you never get together. It says where two or three are gathered, that God's presence, a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice and renewal is found when you gather together. That's why it's so important that we gather together, that you can't hope to be in God's presence alone. And so the next thing our, our text tells us is to let us hold fast to this confession of our hope. Because no matter what other rings or groups that we may be in throughout the week, the one thing that we all hold in common is our confession of our hope. That's why we say the creed every single day, because that's the one thing that we all have in common. The confession of the triune God, that we are worthy to enter into his presence because of Jesus. And the third thing is, let us uh, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, stir up, if you're reading your King James at homes, uh, is spur. It means to pride, to motivate, uh, to irritate each other to love and good works. Because you have been brought into God's presence, you are brought into God's community, his inner ring, with other people. And so let us encourage one another to love and good works, to live in this community. And it says that it might be, you might have to irritate some people sometimes. Like, like a, a, a horse rider will spur the horse in order to motivate the horse to go faster. But in order that no one becomes discouraged by the spurring and irritated, it also says that we should encourage each other with love and patience. And I did mislead you a little bit there. The third thing that our text says is not to let us spur one another, but let us consider how to spur, stir up one another. Let us consider, stop, and think. If you've ever been to a counselor or a psychologist, were they taking notes? Now, why do counselors and psychologists take notes? Well, it's because they're considering. 
They're writing things down and thinking, what can I say to this person that will help them? What is the best thing I can say to this person to help them move forward? If we are to consider each other, we need to stop, listen, and think about how can we help each other live a life of more freedom, of joy, of sacrifice, and renewal. And are there people in your lives, near you, close to you, that you consider, that you really think about, how you can build them up in the faith? Well, that means that this community of God has to be personal. You have to get close to one another in order to, to listen to each other and motivate each other in this community. Are there people in your lives that you let get close to you so that they may consider you? Are there people that you are open with and, and honest with that you can let them into their lives that they may consider you and think about, well, how can I help you live a life of more freedom, of joy, of sacrifice and renewal? At seminary, we were put into groups of four or five students. Uh, and the idea was that we would meet every week uh, to, to practice getting together as pastors. And uh, I got to admit, most of the, or some of the times, we'll talk about just pointless things. But, but many times we'll actually get together and share how we're doing and encourage one another how we can be better students and, and better vicars and eventually better pastors. And at first, I wasn't sure what to think of these guys. Uh, most of the, the guys in my group uh, were, were just out of college and single at the time. Uh, but now i got to say, I'm a little proud that we're the only group I still know of that is meeting regularly online over Vicarage. No, we need to have groups where we're able to consider others and let others consider us, to build us up, to stir us up, and encourage us in this new community of faith. St. Luke's strategy to achieve its mission of awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. The strategy involves first worship, which we talked about last week, where we hear the word of God and we respond in thanks and praise. And the second strategy is spiritual formation groups. That it is central to our mission to live a lives that are living in the power of life in Christ, that we get together in smaller groups than this large congregation. Smaller groups where we can really pour into each other and get to know each other, where we can open ourselves up and let other people into our lives. Now, the, the second part of our strategy to achieve our mission is spiritual formation groups. And have you heard of catalyst groups? Catalyst groups is the uh, formal uh, title of the, the small groups here at St. Luke's. Uh, it's, it's small groups and, uh, where you can grow, learn, grow, and serve, and we can encourage one another and let others encourage us. And these catalyst groups are, are the formal method, and, and Amy and I, we were both invited uh, to join one when we got here. And it always amazes me uh, that when, when, uh, whenever we get together, we have uh, similar interests uh, with the group there. But what amazes me is just how different everyone is in that group. And Amy and I have really enjoyed meeting with them on a weekly basis. So that's the, the formal way of letting others uh, encourage us and encouraging others. Uh, and if you're not part of one yet, be sure to talk to, to Rhonda Betteridge, our director of family ministries, or, or one of your pastors, or you can even talk to your vicar. 
But that's not the only way that St. That Luke's is going to achieve its strategy through spiritual formation groups. The idea is that any group or ministry that's meeting here at St. Luke's can be one of stirring up one another's to, to learning and growing and serving. That could be whether you're in the choir or part of the altar guild or one of the ushers involved in a youth ministry or a youth ministry mentor. You know, there's so many things that are going on at this church. But in whatever group, whether you're gathering as, as fellow believers, how can you use that group as an opportunity to consider others, to stir up one another and encourage one another in this community of faith? Because of Jesus, we are allowed to draw near to him. You have been made worthy, washed clean, and brought into God's presence only by and through Jesus. You have been brought into the community of God, God's inner ring, with others. To end on a, a serious note, I believe uh, C.S. Lewis said something like how joy is not complete until it is shared with others. And to end on a, a less serious note, Apple TV series Ted Lasso, the, the main character after the team lost a, a football game, he consoles the team by saying, you know, there, there's, only, there's something worse than being sad, and that's being alone and sad. But in God's community, in God's inner ring, you are surely never alone. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the one true faith into life everlasting. Amen.